Hello to my loyal readers and SoundCloud subscribers. Uh, this is Didact, and uh, this is not a regular Didactic Mind podcast or anything. Uh, this is my kind of attempt to try out a new idea. So um, let me know what you think in the comments and uh, suggestions in uh, either at the uh, at the blog itself or uh, here on SoundCloud. Um, the idea here is to uh, record some somewhat kind of shorter, extemporaneous almost, uh, answers to questions that readers have submitted to my blog, which may or may not take me a significant amount of time to write up a full post about. So uh, those of you who have been reading my blog for a long time know that I tend to answer questions uh, with posts titled Domain Query, which is a play on... Um, uh, something in the, in the Halo universe, and I won't get into that, but you can go look it up. And uh, the idea here is that that I'm going to try out here is to provide somewhat shorter, you know, less than one hour, so I mean about twenty minute answers to questions from readers uh, that may or may not merit a full post in their own right, uh, but I think deserve answering anyway. So. The question, in, the, the question that I want to address comes from uh, reader Sardakar. Uh, great name, by the way. I think that's a fantastic handle. Uh, I am a huge Dune nerd. I've read the original Dune book I don't even know how many times. I mean, it's the, it, it is the greatest science fiction novel ever written. So uh, Sardakar asked a question related to a post that I wrote about two possible futures for the West. Either the West turns into Detroit, which is basically uh, the equivalent of a nuclear-blasted hellscape in which, um, you know, civilization basically has completely collapsed in the cities and uh, people just move out to the suburbs to salvage any kind of living whatsoever. Uh, or Dubai, which is the, the future in which uh, the ultra-wealthy elites live in these, you know, incredibly rich and beautiful sky-high mansions, but, and are supported by a managerial class that they bring in who can never question anything, can never, uh, can never affect any kinds of changes, who live entirely to please their overlords and masters, and who have no free will or rights of their own, and can be hired and fired pretty much at will, but as long as they are, as long as they serve their masters, they will have a very good life. And uh, all of that is supported by a vast underclass of basically slaves. Uh, and I pointed out that in many ways this is historically similar to how civilizations uh, uh, existed in the past, where you have, you know, ultra-wealthy elite, a noble class, and just slaves beneath all of that. Uh, and Western civilization was one of the very few to really break away from that model and create a system, a society, where everybody uh, can achieve some measure of financial independence and some measure of freedom. So Sardaka had this question related to an offhand comment that I made in this article. Quote, Having lived among and dealt with Slavic people, for Slavic peoples, for a decent chunk of time, 
I can tell you from personal experience that while they are a fun bunch, they are and they are quite intelligent, and their women are absolutely stunning, they are not really compatible with Western Europeans and their descendants. End of quote. Sardarkar asks, just curious, didact, why do you think that the Slavics are not really compatible with Western Euros and their descendants? Inquiring minds want to know. Okay. Here's why, here are the three reasons, more or less, why I think that uh, the Slavic peoples are not really compatible with Western Europeans. First reason, religion. To understand the Slavic mindset, you have to understand Orthodox Christianity. Now, I don't claim to, by the way. I, like, if you ask me what is the difference between the Orthodox rites um, and the, the Catholic High Mass, I, dude, I don't have a clue. Okay, I don't know. Um, I've never been to an Orthodox service. I've never actually been to a Latin Mass service. I would love to go uh, in a Catholic church, but I've never been to one. I have seen the Catholic Mass in the Vulgate. So, but the, you know, the one of the major differences between the Greek Orthodox or now is, is the Russian Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church is, of course, that the Greek Church speaks the rites in Greek, uh, or used to. Now, with the, you know, the historical shift of the center of the Church, of the, of the Orthodox Church to Russia, uh, that has changed. I believe Russian churches teach the Orthodox Mass in Russian, and Greek churches in Greek, and uh, Ukrainian churches in Ukrainian, and so on and so forth, etc., etc. Uh, but to understand the to understand why this makes such a big difference, you have to realize that the two churches evolved along very different lines. The Western European traditions are rooted in the original church that grew up in Rome um, and which claimed to be the true church, you know, from, uh, with lineal descent from uh, Pope Peter himself, the very first Pope. The Greek Orthodox Church, or the, or the Orthodox Church in general, I'll try to avoid using Greek Orthodox because it's not Greek Orthodox anymore, is an entirely separate branch, okay? The Greek or, excuse me, the Catholic and Orthodox churches diverged after about the 4th century AD. And the reason for this is because of the split in the Roman Empire. The Western nations, as we understand them, grew up under the Roman Catholic interpretation of Christianity and then splintered off into the various Protestant denominations. Now, if you don't think that this hasn't had an effect on the minds and the characters of the peoples involved, honestly, you're delusional, because they absolutely have. The Roman way of thinking, the, the, the Catholic way of thinking about Christ, about Christianity, about everything else, is very different from the uh, Eastern way of thinking. And the, the, the two philosophies are very, very radically opposed to each other in many ways. And they have, you know, just grown more and more distant um, over the last 1,700 years. Uh, they started out as being one church. They split off over time because of differences in doctrines, rites, uh, and more sort of mundane concerns such as property uh, and priesthoods uh, and secular power, let's just face facts. Uh, 
the the churches split off and broke off and moved in different directions until the final schism came with the bans and anathemas of 1054 AD. And that was a very, very traumatic time. Uh, the only trauma that exceeds it is the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Uh, that is that is the only thing that comes anywhere close to just how painful that schism was. Now, the reason why this matters is because the 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 core of Western civilization, the 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 I should say the foundation of Western civilization is three pillars, as most of you know. Number one, the Greco-Roman philosophical legacy. Number two, Christian morality. And number three, the European nations. Okay. If you have a different interpretation of Christianity, a radically different interpretation, than your brothers to the east, your understanding of the world is going to be different by definition and that's exactly what has happened with uh, the European nations as opposed to the Slavic nations. The Slavic nations have come into being over the last thousand years with the orthodox understanding of Christianity which is again very different from the Catholic or even the Protestant understanding and as such their entire culture is radically different from what we understand to be Western civilization also, Western civilization, in my opinion, owes more to Roman philosophy and Roman uh, ideas than Greek ideas. I mean, the, the, the Greeks were subsumed by the Romans uh, over time, but the, the countries that we consider the West today were really conquered by and populated by the Roman people. So they grew up with uh, Latin ideas of government uh, and uh, and politics rather than Greek ideas and to understand why that's such a big deal you have to delve into the history of Rome versus Greece uh, Rome with the idea of the Senate with its patrician classes and um, its strong emphasis on uh, avoiding any form of God King or uh, any form of uh, hereditary monarchy at least initially versus the Greek idea of much more devolved balances, you know, particularly in Sparta, uh, between various classes. I mean, the, the Spartans were experts at, at, at creating a, a system of checks and balances throughout their government. But the rest of the Greeks were also strong believers in giving the people much more of a voice. So uh, over time, that, that disappeared, and the Greeks became very much in favor of god-kings, because they realized that their system of democracy, quote-unquote, didn't work. It just devolved into mob rule. So the Greeks were much more in favor of kings, emperors, and such. Um, and that was influenced in large part by their proximity to the Persian Empire. Whereas the Romans were horrified by the idea, and their entire system of jurisprudence, governance, was influenced by the need uh, for significant checks against the powers of any one man. That is a system that permeates the West to this day. And that makes for a very different mindset when it comes to governance and philosophy of uh, government than anything that the Slavs understand. The Slavs understand the same concept of god-kings that the Greeks did because their entire philosophical and legal heritage comes from uh, the Byzantine Empire created by Constantine the Great. Okay, that is one major difference between the two. 
religion, and of course, history as a result. The second major difference comes from the fact that uh, the Slavs are very much a put-upon people in terms of invasions. The Slavs have a long history of invasions and uh, depredations that Western Europeans really don't understand. Western Europeans have spent most of the last thousand years, 1500 years really, mostly, there are some exceptions, but mostly fighting against each other. Okay, so the, the conflicts within Western Europe were mostly internal. By contrast with the Slavs, the conflicts were external. The Slavs have dealt with repeated massive invasions from uh, mostly, uh, mostly the West, it is true, but also significant invasions from the Eastern steppe peoples. Uh, the, the, uh, the Mongols are pretty much the only, well, as far as I'm aware, I mean, there could be others, but as far as I'm aware, they're pretty much the only people who ever invaded Russia during winter successfully and conquered Russia. Uh, the Mongols really did a number on Russia and uh, on the Central Asian republics when they came through in the 12th, well, the 13th and 14th centuries thereabouts. They really messed the place up. Uh, they left a very lasting imprint on the entire region. A big part of the reason why so many Russians have actually um, Central Asian or even Mongolian features is because of that invasion. Moreover, the Russians always had to deal with the threat of Islamic invasion from the south. The European peoples never really quite had such a great threat against them. Uh, the Russians had to deal with, firstly, you know, back in the day, I mean, we're talking way back when, before there even was a Russia, uh, we're talking about um, potential invasions from the Arab Persian Empire that spawned in the 7th century during the first great wave of Islamic expansion. Uh, and then they had to deal with uh, the second great wave of Islamic expansion under um, the, what's it called? The, I can't believe I've forgotten the, the word for it. The Ottomans, that's it. It's the Ottomans. Uh, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, this has had a very strong formative uh, impact upon the Russian and Slavic mindsets. They understand that they are a country under threat, so, you know, and have always been. You know, they the, the 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 Russians and the Slavs in general really have a mindset that they will always be under threat and at, an attack from their neighbors. That's been the case for them for their entire history. Western Europeans don't understand that they are under threat from non-Europeans. You know what I mean? Like For most Western Europeans, their entire idea of who will attack them is other Europeans. Whereas for the Slavs, those who populate Russia, Ukraine, large parts of Poland, Hungary, uh, the Serbian, or the, the, the Balkans... Uh, the Baltics, they understand that their threats are external in nature. It's not other Slavs invading them for the most part, it's non-Slavs. That mindset is very different. That, that also informs the reason why Russia is obsessive about guarding its own borders and is absolutely obsessive about securing a warm water port. 
This is a problem that Western Europeans don't have. The Western Europeans, for the most part, have access to the Mediterranean. There are a few landlocked powers in um, in the West, but those landlocked powers generally never uh, developed any significant uh, navies. The Russians, on the other hand, have a gigantic landlocked empire, for the most part. Well, sorry, no, that's not correct. Uh, a gigantic empire ringed by sea, for the most part, but that sea is, like, useless to them. The 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 northern seas are frozen, inhospitable, horrible places to be. They need a warm water port for trade and for military security. And that has been a driving factor in Russian uh, foreign policy for about a thousand years. There's simply no way to understand the Russians without understanding their geography. It is the biggest country on earth, and it is ringed on the northern side by a very, very cold, very inhospitable sea. Uh, it has a potentially very hostile neighbor to the southeast in the form of China, which already regards everything north of the Amur River and everything east of the Urals, uh, the Ural Mountains, as its own. So these are pressures that the European mindset can never understand. Now, I keep saying Russian as a a synonym for Slav and European as a synonym for West. Okay, you can argue with that interpretation, but the fact remains that's more or less accurate because every single Western nation we have today, whether it's the USA, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, or any of the current Western nations in existence in Western Europe, uh, they're all descendants of the same kind of genetic and philosophical uh, uh jurisprudential legacy okay they're, they're all part of the same group but the west the the eastern europeans don't have that heritage they don't have the heritage of the european nations by definition they don't have the same love and regard for roman history roman uh, law their intellectual heritage is much more from the greeks uh, and their understanding of Christianity is very different from that of Western Europe. Now, does all of this mean that the Slavs are difficult to get along with? No, not really. I mean, they're very, in my opinion, they are very hospitable, welcoming people. They're very kind, caring, decent. Uh, I genuinely like white Russians. I think that they're a wonderful bunch. Uh, I speak a little bit of Russian. Я могу говорить по-русски, но очень немного, но очень медленно и немного. И поговорить это очень сложно. Я могу говорить по-русски только сложным. For those of you who speak Russian, all I said, I mean, I know that sounded a lot like some drunk guy falling downstairs, but all I said was, I can speak Russian. Uh, although very slowly and uh, with difficulty, is pretty much what I said. Now, I like Russians. I think they're a great bunch of people. I think that they have a lot of hang-ups and psychological issues, which stop them from reaching their full potential, though. Uh, Russians, for instance, regard every problem as basically a problem for government to solve. That's, uh, that is something that they have in common overall, I think, throughout most of Eastern Europe. They think that the that their pensions, their their livelihoods, you know, in old age, that's that's a, a government issue, and it's really not. It's not. It's uh, it's very much um, 
uh, an individual problem to solve, and that's something that particularly English, Scottish, and Dutch minds have understood for centuries. And that's the reason why uh, countries where English, Scottish, and Dutch settlers have gone tend to be much more independent in their thinking, such as the United States of America, where government is looked at with deep suspicion and deep hostility. And it used to be the case in Australia as well. It used to be the case in New Zealand as well. And things have, of course, changed significantly in those countries. But in Eastern Europe, it's still considered the government's problem to solve. Whenever there's an issue, it's for the government to figure out, it's for the government to, to redress. Which is a totally alien mindset to that of, uh, of Western Europeans. Uh, or at least, you know, of sort of uh, Western Europeans of English and Dutch descent. Less so for continental Europeans. Uh, of, let's say, Hispanic, you know, meaning Spanish and Portuguese, or French or German or Italian descent. It's a, it's a, it's a whole different story. So, um, I guess the, the final uh, point that I can make about the differences between um, Slavic peoples and Western Europeans is that the Slavic peoples aren't cocked out. They're not. They're very based. In their thinking. And what I mean by that is they haven't given in to the global homo cult. And this is where their interpretation of Christianity comes in very handy. They don't have any of the nonsense that came from Vatican II or any of the, uh, the heresies that followed uh, Protestantism. Uh, ever since the center of the Orthodox Church moved from Constantinople uh, after, the, you know, after, it, uh, after it fell to the Ottomans in fourteen. Uh, 14- 1452, I believe. Uh, ever since that, 1452, 1462, something like that. Uh, my history is a little fuzzy there. But ever since the center of the Orthodox Church moved from Constantinople to Moscow, the Orthodox Church has been a force for masculinizing influence and for the preservation of traditional values. That does not exist in Western Europe anymore. The Catholic Church is totally... Uh, subordinated, it's been completely converged almost. Uh, the major Christian denominations have been uh, subverted to the global homo cult. That is not a problem that affects the Orthodox Church, and that's one reason why we should be very, very grateful for the fact that the Orthodox Church is guarding the, the eastern flank of Christendom. Orthodox Christianity has a lot of problems. I mean, again, I'm not an expert, I'm just saying, based on what I've observed, they've got their own serious problems. But one thing that they don't have a problem with is this cucked out, deeply disturbing, rotten, uh, global homo infestation of the Christian mindset. And that's what makes them a lot tougher, a lot more resilient, a lot more uh, capable of dealing with global homo craziness in Russia, in to some extent in eastern Ukraine. In western Ukraine is... is, is much more, you know, Western-looking uh, in the Balkan, uh, yeah, the Balkan republics, uh, to a large extent in the Baltic republics, and uh, throughout Central, throughout the Central Asian republics. They don't have time or patience for that shit. So um, I hope that helps to answer Sardarkar's questions. If you have any follow-up questions, uh, please feel free to add them as comments, and I will be happy to address them uh, in future similar posts, and I will catch you on the next one, probably on the next Didactic Mind podcast.